You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and listen to Slushy Stop. I want to go home and listen to Slushy Stop. Hello and welcome back to Slushy Stop. My name is Nathan and I am joined once again by Alex and Jake, where we are talking about Star Wars. Uh, we are going through each episode, one through six, one by one, just having casual conversations around them, uh, leading up to a grand finale where we are going to play Star Wars Trivial Pursuit against each other to see who is the Jedi Master of Star Wars Trivia. So welcome, welcome to the program, gentlemen. Hello. What's up, dude? Oh, not much. Just, uh, I guess, still trying to recover from that uh, episode one podcast we did last time. That episode one slump. <laughs> S- sad trombone. I'll still defend it to an extent. I'm going to drop a bombshell right here. What's that? To lead, off, to lead off the episode. I think I might like episode two more than episode one. Ooh, bold statement from... Alex, rebuttal, Jake. That's fair. To each their own. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like I said the last time, uh, you know, as as someone who who does like Phantom Menace, who, who does favor that movie, um, it I, it's very difficult to argue a lot of the critiques of it because a lot of them are indeed correct and a lot of my attachment to the movie is probably solely based on nostalgia Mm -hmm. but i I think the movie has lots of strong points sure but the the weak the the spots where it comes up short it comes up very very short so and to a certain extent we're gonna have some similar conversations about this one uh for those of you who yeah. either didn't read the title or anything like that, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones today. So, your thoughts, Attack Alex? Attack de los clones. <clears throat> um, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts that I've been looking forward to sharing with you. Um, I have been very vocal in my <clears throat> loathing of the prequels. And particularly, I think I've probably said on the record multiple times that episode two is my least favorite of all the movies and the one that is the worst and that I hate the most. And I went back and watched it this last time trying to remove all prior experiences, all prior thoughts and feelings and come at it with fresh eyes. And I got to say, it's not as awful as I remember. Um, I found myself watching it and feeling at times like I could see the potential greatness of this movie kind of peeking through the clouds. There are some ridiculous plot holes in this movie. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm not telling, I'm not saying it's a good movie. Um, Ridiculous plot holes um, and things that make no sense at all. I still have no idea who Master Sifo-Dyas is or was or what he did or what his role was. Still can't figure out who deleted the Camino system from the Jedi archives. Um, still can't figure out if Dooku was secretly trying to get Obi-Wan to join him and overthrow Sidious. Um, but overall, I got to say, like this, the movie is not as awful as I, as I have always thought it was. Um, it does some things really well, 
and I need to give it a little more credit than probably I have in the past. And I might even like it better as a Star Wars film than The Last Jedi. Now that is that is a much easier argument for me to agree with. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I guess part of what makes this movie frustrating is, I mean, there are definitely those times where it has so much potential where, yes, you can see what George Lucas was going for. And you even have yeah. some, I mean, fun moments. Like, as as much as it may not make sense, like, I still remember, you know, watching Yoda's lightsaber battle at the end and just how, like, fun that is. I mean, it may not fit that character very well, but still, it's just fun to see him in his peak flipping around all over the place, uh, you know, showing how why he is a master of the force and there are other yeah. you know fan service moments i would say throughout it but then you have sprinkled in just equally terrible things whether it's that love story or just anakin being himself um and there's even just some parts where like i know we were talking about this earlier but there are there are parts uh where like you have action happening, but you don't care about it at all. So it's just boring, and you're just like, can we get yeah. past this so we can get on to the things that I actually do care about? Like, I would rather watch some of the stupid love crap than, than this pointless, like... And, it, and, a lot, and it's also just like a bunch of CGI on the screen, too. Yeah, so yeah, you just for get sure. fatigue I, after a while. I gotta say, I... <laughs> The love, the love story, um, which I which I used to just absolutely loathe. Uh, I found myself this time. I, I think maybe I'm going soft as I get older, but like it's not. It makes sense. I think that's the thing. the The love story actually makes sense. Um, there are definitely moments that could have been, probably should have been omitted and edited out. I think we could have. The, as fan as viewers we would have understood that they were falling in love without some of the ridiculous terribly written dialogue between the two of them particularly on Naboo um, but I think that one of the interesting things about Anakin and we were talking about this uh, earlier is you know he was taken away from his mother when he was a little bit older than most Jedi kids um, or force sensitive kids mm-hmm so he has this attachment and that attachment is what makes him vulnerable and that vulnerability is what allows that you know padme relationship to develop and probably that's that's not bad for him really you know she she is fulfilling something but that vulnerability is also what we see uh, palpatine later take advantage of so like i have to give george lucas a little more credit than i have in the past it's it's kind of fun, and it's actually pretty interesting to see Anakin in this film as kind of a tortured young adult, and we see him definitely um, skewing toward the dark side at times, but not skewing toward the dark side just because he's a bad guy. Like We actually see some of the motivation for him to do what, uh, to commit the acts that that push him into a full-blown Sith. Yeah, we, we very much see his his struggle and 
most of the time when he when he goes too far he seems to genuinely sort of regret it i mean after he slaughters all the tuscan raiders he you know he has that that breakdown and i mean that scene is pretty much the only one in this movie between him and padme that i'm okay with like i'm i kind of get the point of the love story and i almost understand why it is the way that it is you know it's just more strain on him uh which again is ultimately what leads to his his turn but generally speaking i just i just think it's bad however yeah that that scene of of him breaking down and her trying to comfort him and he says word for word like i'm a jedi i know i should be better than this or something like that yeah and then uh you know the beginning of revenge of the sith which obviously we'll get to next episode but you know when he when he kills count dooku he immediately is like i shouldn't have done that it's not the jedi way so right you you definitely see some regret at the same time, um, at the same time, so, so it's it's not like he's just going going bad, you know, immediately just and just doing bad things for the sake of doing bad things. Like this is something he's he's struggling with. He's it's almost like he just has you know like an anger problem or something. But but the interesting thing is, yes, he does struggle with it, and yes, I think he does acknowledge that that's probably something I shouldn't have done. At the same time, as a viewer, I sat there in that moment. And thought, no, good for you, man. Like, you were angry, and you had a right to be angry. And you killed the people who abducted, who kidnapped your mother, and tortured her to literal death. So, like... That's true. I'm I'm rooting for him in that moment. And... And maybe that makes me a terrible person. I don't know, but... and, And then, you know, he's talking about... I should be able to save her. I should be able to save people. I'm going to become powerful so that I can save people. I'm like, that's that's an extremely human reaction to this situation. And in, and in many ways, I'm going to say it, and you all probably disagree with me, but in many ways, there are moments that Anakin acts like the only human being in the film. Like His actions are the only ones that are actually human. And so, like, who decided to send the hotshot young Jedi who literally like like sexual predator faces at Padme when he's around her. Who decides to send him with the hot young senator whom he's obviously in love with alone to Naboo together? That's the Jedi. That's the supposedly extremely wise council. Was it? Um, or was that part, or was that just more of Palpatine's manipulation? Like, that's what I couldn't tell this time. Like, he almost, with the way uh, Ian McDermott says his lines and everything, he's almost like, he sounds like he's, uh, you know, the puppeteer pulling on the strings again. Oh, well, you should send someone that she knows. How about Obi-Wan and his young... Uh, yeah, but but A, number one, when when did Palpatine... Uh, get the authority to tell the Jedi what to do. And number two, that calls into question the whole assassination attempt. So was the assassination attempt orchestrated by him actually to kill Padme to get to remove her from the obstruction of the Military Creation Act? Or was it to, um, you know, get the Jedi to agree to send an escort with her 
and that being Anakin so that he would be vulnerable and fall in love with her. And that's where I think this movie, that's where I think this movie, like from the word go, starts getting in its own way. I think that whole plot thread is just so extremely convoluted because, you know, as he said, why, why does Anakin get sent with her? If it's to, if it's Palpatine making the choice to send him, then why was the assassinate assassination attempt even like why did that even happen? Because it seems as though the implication once you get later on in the movie is like the Trade Federation Viceroy ordered the assassination attempt. Right. They were assisted in doing all that by Count Dooku, who's the one that hired Django, and Count Dooku was instructed to do all that by Palpatine as Sidious. So it's just, it gets really, really messy. Like, my my thing is, I wonder, did he actually want her to die? Because if she she dies, then, you know, the, the the Trade Federation droid army can attack the Republic. They have no army to defend it. So they're more, they're more, easily conquered i guess however if she survives then she's there to basically tempt anakin and you know get him further down the the hole that palpatine wants him in so like which one is it and it that that comes down ultimately it comes down to the primary problem in this movie and really all three of the prequels and that is that we do not get nearly enough Palpatine not nearly enough like all of this should be spelled out we should not have to yeah just in, you know try to infer these these things and guess at what these implications are um I mean while some of those may be right and yeah it's fun to speculate and stuff at a certain point it's like all right dude this is just a mess and we're you're depending on us to explain away yeah what you know your your poor decisions so we needed way more Palpatine so we could really see, you know, the depth of his plan. Because his whole plan is brilliant. It's right. it, It's so well orchestrated and put together. But, but it's so still, brilliant. I still don't, it, it's hard I still to don't follow. feel like we, yeah, I still don't know that we fully understand what his plan was. Because there's no. so many different directions. Yes. Like this needed to be more clearly laid out. And it, it kind of goes back to, the, you know, what we were saying about Phantom Menace in the last episode. He, Lucas, was trying to ride this line between making a smart film and making just, you know, a dumb popcorn entertainment film, which, yes, is doable, but that's a really hard balance to strike. He needed to go either fully, you know, let's make a smart movie or smart trilogy of movies, yeah. or let's just make dumb entertainment because the the result that you get is this you know muddled convoluted storyline that yeah. very quickly falls apart when you look at it closely it's like it's it's one part political thriller but it also tries to be transformers by the end of the movie you know by the time exactly. you get to the assembly line and mm. the the arena on geonosis it's turned into nothing more than a an action like each scene is just packed with things happening and explosions and you're supposed to marvel at it 
And it's like, Nate and I, it's funny, we agree. We didn't know that we each felt this way, but we each said, going back and watching this movie, we were pretty interested up until the time that that Padme and Anakin land on Geonosis. Um, And then it just, it lost my interest. I mean, Nate made a good point about the, the assembly line the manufacturing scene like that that literally serves no purpose no the whole thing is just so that they can get captured and we get that one cool shot of Django Fett landing with the jetpack and pulling out of pulling out his blaster and saying like freeze Jedi or whatever right and it's like Django yeah he's cool and then you're just gonna phasma him like everybody else all the characters that look the coolest just get killed <laughs> off immediately before they can well matter. <laughs> is Django really that cool because he acts pretty inept at times i mean when he's fighting when he's fighting obi-wan on kamino he he has some moments where he's kind of bumbling around same thing goes for on geonosis as well once he actually gets into the thick of things i mean the whole reason he dies is because he doesn't realize that his jetpack got messed up when he got trampled by the giant monster thing because when because if you notice when mace windu is charging at him he tries to take off like you you see his jetpack like fire for a second there because he tries to get to fly away so he doesn't get killed i've never noticed that and it's in that moment that he doesn't and he's still there defenseless that mace chops his head off so i have never noticed that yeah, if you go back and watch that scene, that's exactly what happens. Like, they set it up, and it's subtle. Like, And I commend George Lucas for having the restraint to make it so subtle. But at the same time, it all, again, it just shows how like inept Django was as a bounty hunter. Right. Well, also, let's talk about the fact that, like, how lazy is Count Dooku if this is the guy that you've hired to serve as the prototype for your clones. Don't you think you would hire someone else to assassinate a senator? Like, that's a pretty easy paper trail to follow. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I mean, that's another that's another one of the major plot points in the movie that just make no sense to me. Because, like, are we to believe that really the only reason Obi-Wan figures out about the clone army and it sets all this stuff in motion is because Dooku carelessly hires the same guy who's who's breeding who's been you know the guy that the donor for the clones to be the guy to kill padme but and like if it wasn't for that they they would have never found this place but that's just it that's all part of palpy's plan he wants the clones to be found because he wants them ready to join the republic oh my god <laughs> We, it, it goes see, further down the rabbit hole. It's still, it's still, it's not even completely clear who commissioned the clone army. Like, yes. okay, Sifo-Dyas. Who we is still Sifo-Dyas? don't know. And and, and he died um, ten years ago. My my, my, <laughs> lo- my thinking has always been that the implication is that Count Dooku did it either under a fake name or but you in, know. But in that case, why would he lie? But, Exactly. So, I mean, I guess just to, to cover his tracks, maybe. I don't I don't know. My, my thinking has always been that Dooku did it. And then, you know, he, he was turned to the dark side before he officially left the Jedi Order. He did all that stuff that Sir, uh, Sidious told him to do. And then he went and wiped Kamino from the Jedi archives and all that nonsense. And he uh, 
ultimately he, in some capacity, was the one that commissioned the army, which Palpatine wanted him to do because then they could start the war and then, you know, he can basically collect the galaxy. If you have all these systems at war, then when it, when it's all said and done, you can just sort of conquer them all. And he has the perk of sort of being pulling the strings on both sides. So regardless of which one wins, he comes out on top. But there. But it's still so, like it. Yeah, and let me let me chime in here that there are. It, hurt, it hurts my head. On top of that. We have no idea why the separatists are angry enough to revolt anyway. We're, it's never explained why no. they're leaving the Republic. No, the only uh, one that has any motivation at all is New Gunray and the Trade Federation, and it's just revenge against right. against Padme. And the only reason they want that is because she defeated their blockade of her planet that they did for virtually no reason, except Palpatine told them to, and... Well, but Dooku also makes it it seem like part of the reason why the Trade Federation is separating is because he goes into that whole spiel about how, you know, they were working with the Dark Sith back, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, they were once in in league with this Darth Sidious. And he turned on them, and so now they want to, and so they came to him, and he's defecting for that reason. So, and so it goes back to Alex's point, like, is that what he's... Is that his true motivation, or is he just lying? Uh. But, 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 but if that's the case, then we need to know more about Dooku. Why on earth would they just go to this random old dude who, also, just, who just happens to be Palpatine's apprentice at this time? Like That kind of uh, makes— Okay, who is, who is he that warrants them, you know, going to him to seek out, you know, the means to separate from the Republic? Yeah, and also so that, that makes that creates Nick a Gunray whole other problem. Kind of a good guy, because like, in a way, yeah, like the whole thing is pretty screwy when you really get into it. Um, the the Dooku character is so <laughs> like I, I I can't tell what side he's on, and, and and so here's and also so back to Padme. Sorry, I lost my train of thought, but back to Padme. So. We hear early on that Padme is the lead opposition to the Military Creation Act. So the Republic is trying to get the authority to create a Republic army to fight the, the, this threat of the separatists. Um, number one, Padme, one would think, would be like one of the chief proponents of an army considering her planet was recently invaded and there was no one there to help her but a bunch of like cartoon reptiles. Um, number two... She being the opponent of a military creation act, it seems like that would work in the separatists' favor that the Republic not have an army. Mm-hmm. So if I'm every other yep. if I'm every other member of the separatists' leadership, I'd be saying like, no, hold on, why are we assassinating her? She's like our best player in this fight. So then yeah, you have because, because like I said, if if she if she lives and you know, continues to oppose the creation of a of an army for the republic. Then they don't have an army, and they're more easy to conquer, or take over, or to, to at least secede from. 
Yeah. But the whole the whole purpose for the clone troopers existing is the catalyst for the stormtroopers. They are how the stormtroopers started. Even though when the stormtroopers come around, they're not clones anymore. Which I just... all the clones have all the clones have been decommissioned by this point. So it's literally the only purpose of the clone the clones existing to begin with is so we can see that armor. So we can see this is what the stormtroopers started as and they evolved from there. And why, by the end of the movie, are the Jedi given the roles of military leadership? Like, these guys are not tacticians. They did not go to the military academies. Why are they the generals in this new army? Nothing in this freaking universe makes any sense. No, because you also have them talking about how, you know, they're spread so thin and everything, and yet somehow... They're able to get so many of them together to fight on Geonosis at once. And, like, how did they get all of them together? Weren't they off doing more important things at that time? Right. And then they all get killed. Yeah, so then, you, um, so then the numbers get thinned even more. Like the Jedi, the Jedi come off as, like, complete dunces in this movie in many, it, at, at many different times. Um, mm-hmm. Palpatine is basically telling them what to do. And they are just going along with it. Yoda says multiple times that they don't know what's going on because the dark side is shrouding everything. Yeah, you have that weird line from Mace Windu where he's like, we need to inform the Senate that our ability to sense the Force has diminished. And it's like, no, why would you do that? Like, why wouldn't you just try to fix it? Like, because as soon as you do that, you're going to lose all credibility. I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but come on, man. All I know is, like, Padme and Anakin at a lake cabin in the beautiful pastoral Naboo country. Which was, you know, Italy here, so that just puts it in perspective. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is a recipe for unplanned pregnancy. Like, especially with like Annie looking at her the way he does. I mean, I mean, my gosh, man. Also, why can't they take a a real spaceship back to Naboo? Why do they have to take the bus? <laughs> why do they have to slum it back? Who knows? Oh, but speaking of slumming it, just on a side note, one of the things that I love about this movie is how when they go back to Tatooine, Watto is like a bum now yeah like he doesn't have his big fancy shop and he's not all clean and everything he's just got this little yeah. tent that he's under and he's he's got like all the stubble and everything he's just some bum now like it's just great because he the lost dro- everything the, the droid head the, the droid head for a hat yeah because he lost everything in the pod race so of course he's just he's a nobody now but he wants anakin's help like beating some people up <laughs> just to get some money i hate him coarse and rough and it gets everywhere also i never realized how out of left field that line comes like you know i've known it and i knew i hated it and i knew it was terribly delivered but it's also totally out of left field i know because like padme's having this nice you know stroll down memory lane talking about going swimming and yeah like I don't know. She's like, I hate sand. Laying out in the sun with her friends and everything, and he's just all he butts into the conversation just to complain. Sand. Yeah, dude. Like this, this gorgeous woman is telling you about laying out in the sand, presumably scantily clad, 
and you're thinking about your your disdain for sand right now. Your crappy upbringing. If, if nothing else, this completely like count like contradicts your entire character because the whole thing is you're this like pervy like <laughs> neck deep in puberty kid <laughs> but now all of a sudden like here's your chance and you're like oh Sam. yeah that's- oh i will say hold on let me add something here <laughs> speaking of speaking of that i i never noticed that like they have that agreement that they're not going to fall in love because it'd be forbidden. And like, I've never noticed that Anakin was actually prepared to keep that agreement because at the end, when she's like, I love you, he's like, wait, you do. I thought we agreed. Wait, we're doing this. I thought we agreed. We weren't doing this. (laughs) And I was like, Whoa, like poor guy. Like he, he totally had strung all over the place. Right. He was prepared to turn it off. And, uh, then she's like, psych we're about to die turns out i love you but then they don't die and it's like oh so then she's stuck with them (laughs) you're kind of a psycho but i'm into it um obi-wan and jango fett oh so yeah that's awesome that's really awesome but i noticed there are things that i've not noticed before like callbacks to empire because it's like a poem it rhymes um yeah i noticed that this time too there are several things that I never really noticed that like um, are direct, you know, corollaries to uh, to Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was kind of fun. So, what are some examples of that? At least off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Uh, that, the only the only callback that I know of directly in this movie is uh, when Obi Wan cuts off Sam Wessel's arm. He does this same sort of motion that Alec Guinness does in A New Hope, which is brilliant. But that's just because Ewan McGregor's a brilliant person. He's the highlight of this movie for me. Well, at Actually, one time, the entire prequel trilogy. He's the best part. Him and Natalie Portman. Um, Obi-Wan winds up hanging upside down from a city that is suspended above a planet's surface. Or at least hanging from a city that's just on Camino. He mm-hmm. winds up hanging uh, from the mm-hmm. platform on Camino. You have the Slave One, of course. You have the Fets. Which, if you um, notice, they do lay back in those chairs. They're not on a swivel or anything like do. that. They do. Yeah, they do lay back. That's a callback to our previous um, episode. Go check it out if you haven't already. You, you have the asteroid field chase in which um, Obi-Wan shakes his pursuer by latching onto the back of something Yep. to hide, mm-hmm. just like the Millennium Falcon. Okay. Uh, you have Anakin get his hand cut off, which is obviously just like Luke getting his hand cut off. Well, going back to the asteroid mm-hmm. field, uh, Obi-Wan dumps his trash as a tactic <gasps> he does you're he right does do that you're absolutely right there's i didn't even notice that one mm-hmm. um let's see there were there are more let me let me think about it it's just like a poem <laughs> it's, it rhymes uh, i know but they're it's great because they're subtle they don't like they're not winking at you every time that they do them yeah it's not crammed down your throat yeah, well i mean except for the yeah. obvious ones like yes anakin getting his arm chopped off or whatever his arm cut off yeah there are plenty of a lot more subtle well, there's the whole like kind of forbidden the forbidden love between anakin and leia or not leia anakin and padme <laughs> which is akin to like han solo and leia in empire um, yeah there's, it's not it, it really sh- isn't supposed to happen because they're from two totally different walks of life yeah um but but it winds up you know them kind of falling for each other on this 
sort of adventure. Um, I, I just thought it was very clever. Um, and, and I, I enjoyed catching those little things this time around. Mm-hmm. For sure. But let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, because obviously one of the big critiques of this movie is that whole representation of the relationship between Anakin and Padme. And I was kind of curious, I started doing this myself, kind of comparing and contrasting that to Han Solo and Leia and their, their, you know, their relationship and everything, because I know it's, yes, there are some similarities, but it's also very different because like for me, yes, I felt like a lot of times George Lucas was trying to mirror that, um, or at least call back to it. So, yes, you have that moment where um, Anakin and Padme are kind of squabbling and everything, which I assume is supposed to be kind of a callback to when Han and Leia are kind of, like, arguing throughout Empire. But, of course, when Han and Leia do it, it doesn't come off awkward or, or anything like it does in this movie. I mean, there are plenty of times where, like, Anakin's acting, I don't know, so childish or something like that. I mean, everybody else around just kind of looks on like, what the crap is going on? Yeah, Anakin Anakin definitely makes things uncomfortable more than once in this movie. Um, he kind of has a little fit, even even like on Tatooine with uh, like in front of uh, his new family members. Like he definitely makes it uncomfortable. And you kind of see them looking at each other at times like, oh, this guy is a little psycho. Um, yeah, like no, like no wonder uh, Owen is Owen and Baru are so concerned about Luke having too much of his father in him. Yeah. Like, also, I love that they made Baru um, have an English accent, even though she mm-hmm. says like one line, but uh, she has. And I love, I love that they basically, it's it's just the Tatooine set and kitchen from A New Hope. Like it's it's exactly the same down to that yeah. that weird almost like rug painting on the roof of the dining room. Yep, it's so cool. <laughs> um, I love that. And Cleeg Lars, I, like that guy did a great job as that character. Um, yeah, like he's he's a gnarly dude, and mm-hmm. you get the he he definitely plays up. I mean, obviously his injury and everything, but just what life must be like. For, especially now for someone who's disabled living in the that environment yeah. in you know just the sand plains of Tatooine yeah but yeah on on the note of the the guy that plays Klee Lars and things that are good about this movie what are some other good ones Cause I, I mean I know the beginning of this episode you know you guys I won't say you were defending the movie, but you know you were definitely talking about how it's not as bad as you remember. So, what are some of the the pros to this? I movie? definitely, I, I definitely took down some notes on some of the things that I enjoy about it. Um, and I mean, sometimes it's just little petty things, like you know, at the beginning when you have that big old Naboo ship coming into Coruscant, and you see all the low hanging clouds with just like the tops of the spires peeking through and everything like those are some pretty cool shots like i i like that idea of getting to see coruscant under those under those conditions um it's it i I know exactly which shot you're talking about and it almost brings superman to mind for me 
Like this just looks like Metropolis in space, which is a very cool idea to me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, so I'm going through my notes, and so it's a mixture of the good and the bad. Uh, something else, un- kind of superficial, but uh, I felt like them having a changeling in there was totally underused. Like, what was the point of her being a changeling if you're not actually going to do something cool with it? Like, I was very disappointed yeah. that it was just kind of a throwaway line that, oh, I think she's a changeling. Well, I think the whole purpose of that is just basically just a plot device to make her blend in better in the bar. Then it's just but lazy know, there are all writing. sorts of aliens in there. Yeah, there are all sorts of aliens. And in you there, see, so and you really see her a couple of anywhere. times too when she didn't change. She was still herself. Yeah. So, yeah. I, True. I don't get that. Um, I mean, I like the small little touch where, uh, you know, when Anakin and Padme are in her room after she survived the assassination attempt by the giant poisonous slug things or centipedes or whatever they were, uh, how the, the establishing shot outside, you see the little window replacement droids starting their work and everything, yeah. replacing that window pane that uh, Obi-Wan jumped out of. And then, of course, you see them in the background inside the room as well, finishing up their job before they they go away. So, I mean, that's yeah. just a nice little touch because you didn't have to put that in there, but it's just good, I guess, for the world building to have that little detail. That Which also plays into the fact of, like, how cool is it to see Obi-Wan Kenobi dive through a window and then hang from a droid as it zooms through the... The Curazon skies, like even though it makes no sense cool for him to do that, because how did he know he was going to be all. able? I mean, aside from the Force, how did he know he was going to be able to land and not die jumping through a window? Because he's Obi Wan Kenobi. No, nobody asks. Oh well, why did Batman do this? How did Batman do this? Because he's Batman. It's the same thing. Because he's Obi Wan Kenobi, he can just do that. Hello there. um i I thought i i appreciate that we get a little bit of a glimpse as as like possibly terrible as the scene in dex dexter's or or dexter whatever his name in in dex's diner as like isn't dexter jester i think so it's like as american graffiti as that is um, sorry if you hear the dog barking. As a, that's a total, you know, kind of an American graffiti shot. But mm-hmm. it, we get a small glimpse into this world pre-Empire, and I thought I think that's kind of interesting. You're that like, and it's it's one of our few looks into what life is like on Curzon for people that aren't in the government or yeah. aren't part of the Jedi Order. You know, just the regular everyday dude like this guy owns a restaurant that he himself works in yeah so and it, and it also makes me it, it gives me the idea that you know because obi-wan knows him so well maybe this is like obi-wan's regular lunch spot well it's kind of a cool idea <laughs> i'm glad you said that because that's another thing that i liked about it that we see obi-wan is basically kind of a detective and he's kind of like working a beat and so we get mm-hmm. the idea that like obi-wan's days and the days of the jedi are kind of spent solving these types of problems. So they definitely have these networks of, of sources who feed them information um, and that they use to, you know, track down information and things. And um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that we kind of, we, we get to see 
where Leia's spunk comes from. You know that her mom, that Padme's kind of a, she's kind of a tough gal, and your yeah. orders are to protect me. And so if I go to Geonosis, that's where you have to go too. Um, I like that. I, I think the the Jedi Starfighter is really cool. The Slave One is really cool, and that that battle is really cool. Um, yeah, and it, it's it holds up well. Field. Yeah, the looks of that hold up really well, even all this all this time later. Um, and, and that plays into one thing that you know we discussed earlier today as well. The CGI in this movie is not good. It's not. It's, no. it's, it's bad. Yeah, going back and but watching it this time, in... I, what I kept thinking of is the TV show Once Upon a Time, uh, because mm-hmm. that show is known for Horrible. a lot of their flashbacks, basically just putting their actors just in a, in a green screen room and then filling it in with CGI after the fact. And that's what it felt like yeah. a lot of times a, it, in this. Like, And it's on a terrible TV budget. Mm-hmm. Like inside the yeah. Jedi Temple but, at times. I mean, that whole... That, but what I... That whole factory what scene... What I think you have to be... What you have to be sort of cognizant of when thinking about that is that this movie came out in 2002. And so in a lot of ways it benefited from the standard definition TVs or at least I mean maybe at best the you know early generations of, of HD TVs. But like, yeah, if I were to go home and get my VHS tape of this movie and pop it into a VCR and I mean maybe even on an HD TV, just that that I don't want to say primitive, but you know, that uh particular medium does this movie a lot of favors because it sort of mats everything out and the cartoons don't look so cartoony yeah it's just when you when you remaster these these films in in hd and you know you throw this up on a 4k tv all of a sudden like the these characters that are supposed to be three-dimensional look awfully two-dimensional no that's a that's a fair point because i would say i've i've experienced the same thing with um, you know the Lord of the Rings trilogy as good as that was for its time it does suffer the same problems where once you put it in high definition you do see more of those edges because they don't get mm-hmm. you know blurred as much with the, the SD to kind of bring it back to to the original thought there I think the thing that I find most fulfilling that there are two things that I find the most fulfilling about this movie and it's that we get to see for all this movie's faults. And there are a lot of them. Um, there are a lot of them, but for all those faults, seeing Anakin's digression and like, if I stop and think as I'm watching the movie that like, this is the guy who becomes Darth Vader. Um, there are moments that like his, his digression into Vader makes sense. And um, it not only makes sense, but I'm like empathetic for him. And uh, like tr- watching him try to kind of hold it together at times. And hey, you know, Hayden Christensen obviously gets a lot of flack and some of it rightfully deserved. But for the first time watching this movie, I kind of felt like 
he at the same time does does a decent job at moments of portraying Anakin as a pretty tortured guy. Um, especially I'm like there's one shot particularly like when he finds his mother and then he kills all of the sand people. Um, and he, he comes back to the Lars homestead and he's like carrying her body, which is wrapped up in a bag and everybody's out there. Like nobody says anything. And the way he looks at them, it's very much like I, I took care of this and like my I went and got my mother, which none of you would do. And there's definitely like, there's, you can see fear on all of their faces because it's like, Oh, like we messed up. You know, we, we let his mom get kidnapped and, and killed. And like the way he just, and it's a brief, brief moment, but the way he looks at them, you're like, dang, like he kind of wants to kill them too. Like just pure, pure resentment toward these people that were supposed to be her, her new family. Yeah. Like he's angry. Um, and then when he's in, you know, the, I love that they use the garage, you know, that we see Luke in, in a new hope. And, you know, he's having this conversation like life, life is simple when you're fixing things and why can I fix things? And like, we kind of, we kind of see him mentally coming apart at the seams and like, it makes sense that a guy who goes through that ultimately turns to anger and like, it makes sense that he turns to, he he has to like, he has to feel those broken places with something, and he chooses to fill them with hatred, and but but that's human of him, like it may not make him a good Jedi, but it makes him a really good human, and you watch that and you go, man, I'm not sure that I wouldn't have been the exact same way that I wouldn't have felt the exact same way. And like, he's with this beautiful woman who's into him and he falls in love with her. Like that's a, Anakin's like a total human being. Whereas you could argue none of the rest of the Jedi ever act human. Um, they act very cold, you know, and indifferent and, uh, disinterested in these human tastes. And so I, I like that Anakin I like that Anakin is a guy that is definitely flawed, but I can at least follow the logic of why he does what he does. Yeah, I think you have a point. Um it's it's very easy to see, you know, when you go back and watch this one and as well as Revenge of the Sith, and even back to Phantom Menace, you know, him leaving his mother. It's it's not like he just went bad one day or it's and it's not even that he had, yeah you know, like he had, you know, dark side tendencies or anything. He was literally driven to that point by this particular sequence of events. And it all kind of goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the episode of him leaving his mother and joining Jedi Order at such an old age. You know, he was he was old enough to remember her, and yeah. so he'd already developed that attachment. And so that's an emotion that he feels that I think a lot of other Jedi, I don't know, I don't want to say they don't necessarily feel it, but they are able to sort of turn it off. Yeah. Because because they don't, they've never had that 
the way that Anakin has. Whereas for him, that's a much stronger emotion. And so that makes it harder for him to let go of his mother before she dies. And it makes him, you know, angrier after she dies. I think it's equal parts, which I mean, he, he pretty, you know, he says it, you know, it's, it's easier when fixing things, you know, why couldn't I fix this? Whatever, you know, he blames himself for her death and all of that. And that ultimately makes it harder for him to let go when he foresees Padme's Padme's death, you know, Yoda yeah. tells him, you know, just, just, you can't, you can't focus on that. People die. It's just the way that it is. You have to learn to let it go. And he can't do that because he's already familiar with that emotion because of his mother and all this other stuff that's happened to him. So yeah. it's very easy to see why he was driven to the point that he is. Also, we hear in, in episode three, Obi-Wan says, I have failed you. Uh, and I've always taken that as just like, that's just what all teachers say whenever things go bad. But in Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan definitely does fail him. Like, Obi-Wan knows Anakin has feelings for Padme, and he points it out several times in the movie. Um, you know, you're letting your feelings get in the way, or your feelings betray you, or your feelings for her, or, you know, he points out several times that he recognizes that Anakin has strong feelings for Padme, even borderline romantic feelings. Yet he mm-hmm. still lets him go on this, like, retreat. It, he doesn't know where they're going, but he still lets him accompany her alone back to Naboo. He's still, like... Uh, knowing knowing the risk. Knowing the risk. Like, he, he totally dismisses... I've never noticed until now, but, like, when Anakin says something about... Uh, I forget what it was. Maybe it was the dream. Was it a nightmare? It was nightmares. Yeah. Like Obi-Wan totally dismisses it and says like, well, dreams pass. And it's like, he doesn't take it seriously. And he, uh, even by the end, like when they're going to fight Dooku, um, Padme, you know, the ship gets hit and Padme falls out and Anakin goes hysterical. Like that was clear right then that these two have strong feelings for one another. And like, Obi-Wan should have at that moment been like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, yeah. y- you need to tell me exactly what's going on here. Well, um, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that, you know, he's he's watched Anakin grow up. He knows how much Anakin has missed his mother, how much that loss of her has hurt him. So do you think there's a part of him that thinks, well, since he can't have his mother in his life, then it's okay for him to have this other relationship with a woman in his life that it works as a surrogate relationship that will help fill that hole and that will help to keep him from the dark side what's well, really a funny good point. because it, obi-wan at one point even says to anakin um you know you've made a commitment to the jedi and uh that that commitment includes like not not being in love with a woman so you know, you could probably get out of it, but it's not easy to do. So, like, he's in, he's acknowledging that very thing. So, it's like he, he talks out of both sides of his mouth on this issue. Mm. On the one hand, like, as you said, it it's like he does, he lets it slide. Like, he, he sees it, but turns a blind eye and kind of lets it go. While at the same time, like, c- 
kind of chiding Anakin and being like, don't get too attached to her. Don't get too attached to her. But like, he doesn't actually do anything to stop it. And uh, then, of course, you know, the fight with Dooku, like, Anakin's totally undisciplined and gets his hand cut off. Speaking and, of uh, Dooku yeah, again. But, 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 but if it weren't for all that, then we wouldn't get that Yoda fight, which obviously is a little ridiculous kind of absurd but it's fun but it's also but it's just fun but it's also awesome yeah like you know if, if someone were to try to break that down to me and explain to me all of the problems with that fight i would be willing to almost guarantee that i would agree with every single one of those points however there's still the fact of we just watched Yoda fight. Yeah. We wanted that for a how long? I wish they and would have finally saved that got it until revenge, though. I do wish yeah, they would have saved it until Sidious. revenge. Mm-hmm. That's true, but but at the same time, it's such a brief fight that he has with Dooku that I feel like when it ends, you still kind of want more of it. So I think it, I think they balanced it out okay. You get just enough of a of a of a taste of it because it's not. His, his fight with Dooku is not this big, grand spectacle like his fight with Palpatine is. And I've never noticed that that Yoda is kind of arrogant in, in Attack of the Clones. Like, he has moments of arrogance. And, you, you know, he is talking... He talks down to Dooku. Um, you know, much to learn you still have. And, uh, you know, you can see Dooku getting kind of like you know frustrated um that he's not being taken seriously but yoda does not take him seriously and i I think it's interesting to see that like maybe like maybe and i don't like the the last jedi but maybe what luke is saying in the last jedi is kind of true in that like the jedi at the height of their power kind of screwed the pooch on this one yeah, I agree with you on that. Nate, do you kind of just want to lead us into closing remarks? Well, I was just going to say, you know, we keep talking about Count Dooku this whole time. Uh, but one of the things that I love is Christopher Lee, the man behind Dooku. Just his delivery of some of his lines, his mannerisms, whole nine yards. I mean, he just brings so much class, but also just... He also makes him very vile at times too. Like, yeah, you just love to hate him at times. He has a great villain voice. Yeah, he does. Like, I mean, think about you know he's uh he's Saruman in Lord of the Rings, and it's very much the same thing. Like this guy is so easy to hate, and a lot of it comes down to that Christopher Lee like baritone voice that he has but at the same time they just he also comes off like you know when he's appealing to obi-wan he comes off like very you know sympathetic too you know yeah. you almost that's that's true like too. he's very convincing to where you don't know if he's lying or if he's actually telling the truth like his range is just just so good throughout the whole thing he just has this elegance he definitely feels like a count. Like he just has some. There's just yeah. something about his demeanor and the way he carries himself. Yeah, I agree with Agreed. that completely. I'm I'm a big fan <laughs> of the Mosquito King. 
Dude's got a. Are they mosquitoes for... or termites? Dude's got a Death Star. Which yeah, that that reminds <laughs> me. They... From that readout, like, is the Death Star fully designed at that point? Yes. So looks, then, what's the point or, of what's his face no. in Rogue One coming along and putting in? You're asking. Like, wasn't he supposed to so help too design many it? questions? <laughs> I don't think. I don't think it was fully designed. I think they had the basic idea of what it would be, but it's not. It was like. I don't think they had. I don't think they have all the engineering. It's like an architectural rendering of like yet. a new shopping mall. They're like yeah, people with no faces it. walking out with bags and like you know cars in the parking lot. Um, mm-hmm. And here's here's yeah, like, where we're gonna have the cafe area, and this is where we're gonna <laughs> it, have it the plant destroying weapon. Oh, oh, that's yeah, why it's very much like this. This is how big it's gonna be, and it's gonna do this somehow. Also, how did like if that was a separatist idea? How did it wind up being a republic or an imperial construction? And this goes back to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> not enough Palpatine. Yes. The whole plan is not laid out enough. No. Like, no. The, the, the empire, which was the republic first, takes the plans for this weapon that were created by the separatists who may or may not be the bad guys <laughs> but what yeah. I mean, yeah like yeah in a way like if you think about it hard enough it's not difficult to see that maybe the separatists are actually the good guys yeah. here and I, th- I think in a lot of ways they are because in this this separatists i think I don't know that it's ever explicitly stated anywhere or anything like that, but I think the separatist movement was a big inspiration for the rebel alliance. So, <laughs> like, there's not really a clear good and bad here. You might say there are heroes because, on both sides. Because it's, yeah, because it's just not, <laughs> as, as I said earlier, like, I, I don't want, I don't want everything in in most movies i don't want everything specifically like spelled out like that just leads to exposition and telling instead of showing and whatever but sometimes you need to tell us things and when you have a plan this complicated and this convoluted like we need to see more of this to see exactly how it's supposed to go instead of sitting here you know pouring over this this information trying to make heads or tails of it so my it's so closing thoughts would me. be this is a movie in which nothing makes sense and I have no idea who is motivated by what and I don't know what's going on. I still don't know who Master Sifidius was. I don't know who had the clone <laughs> army created. I don't know if Dooku's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know if he was pretending to be Sifidius. I don't know why he used Jango Fett to try to kill Padme who was actually working in the separatist good, but they tried to have her killed anyway. Um, Obi-Wan and the rest of the Jedi totally set Anakin up to fail. And he does fail, of course. He falls in love, and they get married for some reason at the end instead of just living secret lives. And everything about 
about it and the plot and the story are absolutely ridiculous. However, this movie was close to being really good. And with some discipline in the editing suite, it could have really been a great movie. And or even with, just some discipline in the screenwriting room. Yeah, with more Which, Palpatine, less useless action, more exposition of some of the some of the elements. I, for the first time, watched this movie, and I feel like I glimpsed George Lucas's vision, and it it was like eighty percent of the way there. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame because it's, it, it was, it was, it could have been great. Could have been great. Totally agree. Yep. But, uh, my, my, my closing thoughts on it would be again, the Yoda fight with Count Dooku. Like that still gets me excited. Like seeing Yoda like flip around and fighting is just like wow for a frail old goblin he's killing it like that <laughs> homeboy's in shape um I I do really like Obi-Wan's story arc in here like yes him letting Anakin go off on his own with Padme was just a stupid bonehead yeah. decision like yeah yeah you you definitely failed him that was a terrible idea you should have known how that was gonna go but if you just look at his mission in general, I feel like he's the only real, like, noble hero in this movie. Like, everything that he does, like, his motivations are clear. Like, he's just trying to track down Jango Fett to figure out who is trying to kill Padme because that's right. his job. Like, dude is just doing his job, and he just happens to stumble across all the, these other things and in the process begins investigating them too because it's just the right thing yeah. to do. Like he's just a good guy. So everything with that is great. Ewan McGregor's awesome. I'll sing that dude's praises till the day yeah. I die. And then yeah, Natalie Portman is Padme. <laughs> a plus there. Like my first Smoke crush. Show. Let's mm. Yeah. Like good great casting choice there. <laughs> and I a hundred percent mean that. Like that was a very, very good idea. Yeah. But then, yeah, just the ham-fisted, like, just shoved in, rom- like, the half-hearted romance is just, I hate it. I, I, un- I kind of understand why it is that way f- sometimes, but for the most part, just if all of those scenes were just gone, I think this movie would be much more enjoyable for yeah. me. All right, so there we go. We have Star Wars Episode Two, not as bad as you may think it is. It does have some, you know, fun moments, some fan service, and things like that. Some potential, just it just wasn't fully maximized. So that's that's all we got for this one. And so come on back for Star Wars Episode Three. And we'll sell you some death sticks if you really want. (laughs) All right. We'll take it easy and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, Felicia.
yeah, it would just be Count Dooku. Or, also, also, what is his first name? Exactly. I don't, exactly. I, it, like he has a first name. I just it's don't Jim. know what it is. But like he's called <laughs> Jim Dooku. 